0: Welcome to our weekly Bible study here at Glendale Baptist Church. I am going to continue our studies in the book of Revelation, and today we will uh, look at verses 5 through the end of the chapter and chapter 18 of Revelation. However, to give context and to connect it to what we discussed last week, I will read verses 4 through the end of the chapter and we're not going to spend a lot of time on the details of specific verses but rather what we'll do is give an overarching view of what is contained here connected to verse 4 and how that kind of informs other things that we've already looked at in the previous chapters so let's read verses 4 through the end of the chapter revelation chapter 18. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, "Come out of her, let my people uh, come come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her repay her double for her deeds." Mix a double portion for her in the cup uh, that she mix, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a light measure of torment and mourning, since in her, uh, in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day. Death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who judges her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, Alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city Babylon for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, and all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, Iron and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, and horses, and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. Their fruit, The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gain wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas, the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls, for in a single hour all this wealth has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors, and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw smoke of her burning. What city was like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas, for the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth for in a single hour she has been she has been laid waste rejoice over her o heaven and you saints and apostles and prophets for god has given judgment for you against her then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the middle of the sea saying so will Babylon, the great city, be thrown down with violence and will be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more, and the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. May God richly bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now, last week we focused on verse 4, the top part of verse 4, where the people of God are called to come out of Babylon. And our emphasis uh, was that this is not a call for a physical separation from any geographic area or necessarily from any activity. Rather, it is to be understood that uh, Babylon itself represents the defining and driving force of human life apart from the standard of God's Word. I want to repeat that. Babylon is not a person. Babylon is not a particular place, but it is an attempt to live life In the world created by God by defining life and the purpose of life apart from what God himself has established that's what Babylon is it is the defining and driving force of human life and the uh, and human interaction on the earth and all of our interactions in a way that is antithetical To the law of God. We understand from Genesis, and we've made several connections already uh, from Genesis, but we understand from Genesis that God has created the world for the enjoyment of his people. So all of our horizontal connections, all of our interactions are governed by the law of God. We understand that earth does not stand alone, there is an intended connection between earth and heaven, what happens in the fall is a break in that vertical connection. It's seen individually, but it's also seen corporately. It's best probably epitomized with the building of the Tower of Babel in the book of Genesis, where men are trying to define their their name or make a name for themselves on the earth, even with religious connections on their own terms. And so that is that disconnect that we see throughout scriptures. And that's one of the reasons Babylon, apart from what ancient Babylon was, that's one of the reasons it's such a good overarching label for what is addressed here in the book of Revelation. So Babylon is not a place in particular, and it's not a particular person, but it is this mindset that defines human activity, human purpose, apart from what has been established by God, and an attempt to define and drive human interactions and existence on the earth in a way that is antithetical to the word and law of God. Now, there are three overarching things that are addressed here in uh, this portion concerning Babylon. Three things that are established. One is the certain judgment of Babylon. The certain judgment of Babylon. Verse 5 captures it or summarizes it best that God has remembered her sins. So since Babylon is not a person and since Babylon is not a place what God is doing or what what uh, John is seeing is the nature of God's judgment against all human activity on the earth that is disconnected from his ultimate purpose for human existence on the earth. So therefore, the judgment of Babylon and everything that rep- that is represented by Babylon is certain. That's, that's the, the, we talked about the parallel paths of the eschaton, the, the eschaton or end of the age is seen on parallel tracks, ultimate and consummate judgment and ultimate and consummate reward. The second thing that's established here is that the judgment of Babylon is just. In other words, she will deserve the judgment that she receives. We've already seen uh, sort of, or, or some of the, uh, some descriptions of the consummate judgment that is to come. And we will see it in more graphic details in the, the coming chapters. But the thing to be remembered here is that everything that is experienced in terms of judgment against Babylon is is, is deserving. This is not a matter of, of God uh, being petty. And This is not a matter of of Babylon receiving something other than what she has deserved. The third thing that's established here, and uh, by the way, the just judgment of of God against Babylon, it's it's seen throughout, but especially in verse 6. And let me just read uh, verse 6. It says, pay her back as she herself has paid others back. So we, we speak of her seduction of, of the nations and so forth, which we'll look at in a moment. But in other words, what she's done, and one of the other things that we've seen, is uh, the reason the saints and the apostles and the prophets are a target, and it's not by one particular group, but the reason they are always antagonistic to Babylon is because the saints... The prophets, the apostles, the people of God are defining reality and human existence and responsibility in a way that is obviously antithetical to the way of the world. So there will be times where our, our commitment to truth will put us in opposition to the powers that be. Whether it's at an economic level or dealing with economic issues, whether it's in politics, whether it's whatever it is, there will and and sometimes even in a religious context. Because remember, there is a religious element to Babylon, and so when the religion that is established by Babylon versus the religion of the people of God, when they are in conflict then Babylon has the sword on its side. And that, for that reason, the people of God will oftentimes be martyred or they will be, uh, they will be targeted for various reasons. And sometimes it may not on the surface even be religious. But the point being is that the judgment that Babylon will ultimately receive is a deserved judgment. The third thing that we see is her false sense of security. And this is going to be the launching point for the rest of what I want to address. But in verse 7, we see her self-perception. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a light measure of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. So in this portrayal of herself, in this sense of self, she sees herself, first off, as luxurious and beautiful. Secondly, she sees herself as powerful. And thirdly, there is even a sense of immortality or eternality. I am not a widow, and I will never, uh, I will never mourn. I will never see mourning. Now, it's my contention that the means by which the harlot, which is Babylon here, slash dragon, which we've seen discussed elsewhere, slash beast. Okay, so that three that threefold connection. The means by which the harlot slash the dragon slash the beast, the means by which they seduce the kings and the merchants and the individuals of the world, the means by which they are seduced is this perception that Babylon has of herself of ultimate beauty, ultimate power and some sense of immortality or eternality. So her means of seduction is to offer or there is a desire on the part of individuals, kings and merchants, etc. to receive from her what she sees as her strengths and assets. So those who are seduced by her are looking to obtain from her those very things that she thinks that she possesses. Now I'm going to make four points here, but before I do that and and just kind of summarize her her seduction and so forth, I want to summarize it in this way or give an overarching view because everything that's that's touched on here, if we're not careful, everything that's mentioned, it would seem as if the merchants who sold incense, the sailors that are, or those who made their, their living by sailing and transporting goods, etc., that those things are not good in and of themselves. But that's not the case. Remember, it's not the activity. It's not the necessarily the interaction. It's not even the transaction that is at issue here. The issue is seeing these common transactions and human interactions from a different vantage point. The worldliness, and, and really this is, this is Satan in the garden all over again trying to offer to Adam and Eve a standard for living in God's world that's apart from what God himself has ordained. And the temptation for them was to live in God's created world according to the word of Satan rather than from God and therefore be like gods themselves. And so what we are dealing with here is satanic and it is demonic, but not in the ways that sometimes we think. Um, Johann Goethe, in his classic work on, on Faust, uh, who's the, the, the author or the, the character main character in his, in his book on Faust is, I think, also Wolfgang, uh, Johann Wolfgang uh, Faust. And in the story, uh, Faust was a doctor who was not satisfied with the way his life was going. And eventually he sells. He, he encounters the devil and he sells his soul to the devil in order to become successful. Now, this is a story that's been told over and over again in different forms, but that basic pattern that's established, established in the works of Gerther has been, again, retold in many different ways. And the idea is that in order to be successful, in order to uh, to overcome various obstacles, some individuals. And by the way, one most popular uh, stories of this was uh, a film about blues music, uh, Crossroads. Ralph Macchio was uh, the, the main one of the main characters, and he wanted to learn how to play the guitar and uh, blues guitar. And his um, influence was Robert Johnson. And Robert Johnson, and the story goes, even and Robert Johnson, by the way, who was a real character, real person, Robert Johnson was a great blues guitarist. And the legend around him is that he sold his soul to the devil in order to be able to play the guitar in which he played it. So in the film, uh, there was a place where they say you could meet the devil, the crossroads. And if you go to this particular place, play a particular chord, then the devil would show up. And Ralph Macchio meets the devil. But anyways, it's it's just the Faustian theme that's given a new layer based on a historical figure in the person of Robert Johnson. Uh, There are several people, and I'm mentioning all of this to kind of get into what we want to talk about. I saw recently in, on, a, on a social media platform, uh, this person posted all of these current celebrities who have supposedly sold their souls to the devil in order to become famous. Now, I, for one, would never, I, I do not I'm not naive to the point where I, I don't believe that people won't make many compromises in order to be successful. That's on the one hand. So I, I know that people will do anything, and sometimes we may use it as a metaphor. Well, you sold your soul to the devil. You made yourself beholden to a particular person or a particular group in order to be successful. I understand that happens all the time in business and in, in entertainment or whatever. On the other hand I also know that in a fallen world there are people in their rebellion against God who consciously seek to conjure up demonic spirits or whatever that's real too there are there are performance witches and there are performance people who are seeking uh, spiritual powers apart from the power of God. But there are some people who really believe these things. But those are those fringes, those things are extremes on the fringes. The compromise, the demonic compromise that is the most common is something that is unlike what we see in movies. It's unlike things that we may know about in terms of their extremities. It's simply seeking to live in God's world apart from God's law and apart from acknowledging him as God. So there are four things that I want to look at as it relates to the seduction and the corruption that is represented by the whore the of Babylon now the first thing is this and these are overarching principles that are connected throughout the first one is this that the whore of Babylon seeks to bring corruption to legitimate things and so when we look at this list of merchants and business people and the goods that they sell, uh, those the sellers of purple, the color of, of, of purple and the color of, of different things and materials, those kinds of transactions are just natural. And the seduction of the world or the seduction of the harlot is to take a legitimate Interaction and somehow bring corruption to it. It's interesting in the law, uh, the laws of Moses. How many warnings are given to the people of God about uh, unfair scales, about uh, cheating your neighbor in terms of a business transaction? I think the point of overarching point of commerce in general. And this is where the influence of the world comes in, and this is part of the warnings that we see in the seven churches of Asia Minor, to not use legitimate things in a corrupt way. In other words, if you're engaged in business, then follow good business practices and make sure that you're not trying to take advantage of someone. A story is told of Martin Luther when, Someone came to him after he had been preaching, and they said they wanted to be a part of his movement, the reform movement, or et cetera. And, you know, what could he do to serve the church? Uh, and, and Martin Luther just asked him, well, what do you do for a living? He says, well, I'm a shoemaker. He says, okay, here's what you can do for the kingdom of God. Go, go home and make the best possible shoe that you can and sell it at a fair price. So, in other words, commerce, which is allowed by God for the people of God. There's no way that we can avoid it, or we can, I guess, if we make our own stuff, you can avoid commerce, but we can be involved in commerce. Christians can be business people. You can manufacture something. But here is the way, here is the corruption that's represented by Babylon to use something that is legitimate in an illegitimate way. The corruption of legitimate things, that's always a challenge. We see it also even with our technology. Uh, The internet is a wonderful thing. It gives you access to information that you would otherwise take years to be able to accumulate. But the internet can be used for illegitimate purposes, whether it's the spreading of false, uh, false stories uh, conspiracies, uh, all sorts of things that it can be used for that are not legitimate. So the ways of the world, the ways of Babylon is to bring legitimacy to corruption of legitimate interactions. In other words, uh, you if, if we talk about, because that's a big in the news today, about First Amendment rights, in other words, the ability to say what you want to say, Uh, The government shouldn't be able to stop you from expressing your opinions, etc. But what the government can't do, uh, commitment to the law of God should cause us to govern what we say about others. So what you may have a First Amendment right to say, according to the laws of God, is not good to say it. And the same thing for that, as we say, in terms of our personal interactions, the same is true of our of our enterprises. So one influence of the seduction of the world is to or the the seduction of the harlot is to bring corruption to that which is legitimate, legitimate human interaction, legitimate enterprise. Legitimate technology, all of those things, they are not sinful in and of themselves, but they can be used in a corrupt way. A second thing is to identify the pursuits of of power and the accumulation of things as being a source of satisfaction. In other words, the soul satisfaction. In fact, that's captured beautifully in um, verse 13, uh, verse 14. It says, the fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you. So again, you go into either the products or you go into the, um, the, the, the trades, the different forms of trade, the idea that here 's the idea that the world offers that physical temporal things can bring ultimate satisfaction for the soul, and I think part of um, part of the the failures we, we saw in the previous chapter where at some point the merchants and the kings go to war against the ba- against uh, the, 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 the harlot and i think part of that reason is because at some point many people discover that those things that they sought as satisfaction are not able to bring them satisfaction so the the world babylon suggests that the thing that is most needed for human enjoyment and fulfillment are these temporal things. So it's identifying something other than God as being the source of ultimate satisfaction. And obviously as Christians, we know that while we can enjoy the things that God has allowed us to enjoy, that our ultimate satisfaction is with God. There is nothing that can fulfill and satisfy our greatest longing other than God himself. So uh, this is something, by the way, we touched on this with uh, the example that Jesus gives with the man who had the bumper crop and then he tore down his barns and built bigger barns. And then he says, oh, wow, now soul, eat, drink, and be merry. And Jesus called him a fool. He says that uh, he he died and it says, you fool. This day, your soul is what's required of you. And so what brings ultimate satisfaction, ultimate fulfillment, is not the positions that we acquire, not the the things that we acquire, not even political or business power. What brings satisfaction to the soul is our connection with God, and everything else revolves around that. Now, that brings us to a third thing. And this is not always intentionally the case. Uh, but the third thing is when we seek satisfaction apart from God, then we are prone to idolatry. In, um, it's, it's interesting that in the New Testament, Paul says, flee idolatry. Idolatry is not necessarily... Bowing down to a graven image. I think there are a number of ways in which we can experience idolatry. There, some people make an idol out of their families. Some people make an idol out of out of their position, their possessions. Some people make an idol out of their state. And certainly that's something when I say state, I mean nation. That's one of the things that I think uh, in this present moment that Christians need to be more and more aware of, that our commitment to a political party or issue can't be greater than our commitment to God. And sometimes we assume that because this, as we understand it, may line up with the will of God, then we will swallow everything else. And and I'm going to say something that I hope is, is understood in the right way. Um, I get nervous when, not necessarily when politicians, but especially when Christians speak of American exceptionalism. What do we mean by exceptionalism? If we mean that our our GNP uh, is greater than some other nation, okay, then we can say that, I guess. If we can say that we have uh, more freedoms than certain other nations, I guess you could say that. But if what you mean is that this nation plays a bigger part in the overarching purposes of God in human history, then I'm sorry, you're wrong. You're wrong. America is no more or no less than any other nation. We are, every nation is outside, is, is other than the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is manifest in every nation. So if you talk about our privileges, if you want to talk about our wealth, even that's fleeting. I mean, it's not like we stand alone. We are in debt to other nations. We, we, it's, it's not like we stand alone. So I think, and, and, and by the way, this does not mean that we should not be committed to the well-being of our nation we should participate in the electoral process. We, are, we should be engaged as much as we can uh, to, for the well being of our neighbors as well as ourselves. We should be concerned. When America is at war, we're all at war. But this whole idea of Christian, of, of American exceptionalism, that's the way of the world. And that nonsense should never have any place in the mouth of a, Christian, of, of, of a Christian church. That our nation is a nation, and the sovereign purposes of God are no more or no less at work in our nation than the most decrepit nation in the world. And so this whole idea of idolatry, we can make an idol out of our nation many have here's what the world here's what Babylon says Babylon says that I am luxurious that I am the perpetual vision of youth and vigor that I have power that I'll never see any mourning and people individually and sometimes as political leaders And sometimes as captains of industry will buy into some of that allure and they use it to corrupt things that are legitimate or they will use it as a means of providing satisfaction that can only come from God because ultimately they end up making an idol out of raw political power out of patriotism, out of positions and possessions, and any other number of fleeting things. But here is the fourth and final area of corruption and seduction that we get from, the ba- from Babylon, and that is commercial and cultural activities that are corrupt in and of themselves. Commercial and cultural activities that are corrupt in and of themselves. Now there is a difference between the corrupting of that which is legitimate and I think that's what opens the door for the engagement of things that from its very inception is corrupt and what i mean by corrupt is either it is against the moral or spiritual laws of god so the whore of babylon gives legitimacy to the corruption of legitimate things but it also gives legitimacy to things that are corrupt in and of themselves. So when the angel says to the people of God, come out of Babylon, it's not saying leave a place. When the angel says, come to the people of God, come out of Babylon, it's to recognize what Paul says in 1 Corinthians, whether I eat or whether I drink, whatever we do, do it to the glory of God that God has legitimized our social, cultural, economic interactions. And so even if we're not putting a Christian label on our businesses and the service that we offer, we do it because we are governed by the law of God that if we have a skill set, if we have something that can better serve our neighbor, we offer it to our neighbor. If you're in business, do your business to the glory of God. Secondly, The people of God are to come out of Babylon because you understand that the only thing that gives you satisfaction is not whether or not your business will be successful, not whether or not you get enough social uh, people, uh, followers on social media. Your ultimate satisfaction is that God has, has brought you into fellowship with himself so that you now can be pleasing to God. As you see that he is pleasing and the only thing that can satisfy our souls. Thou has made us for thyself. And our souls will know no comfort until we rest in him. But thirdly, we understand that God and God alone is God. And so not our youth, not our possessions, not our positions, not our nations, not our families, there is nothing that should be elevated to the status of God. And we also know that some things are just corrupt. Regardless of what the world says, some things are just innately in and of themselves, culturally, commercially, is just contrary to the law of God. Now what what John is reminded of here is that when the people of God, or to the, I'll put it this way, to the degree that the people of God are entangled at whatever level in the ways of the world, in the activities, whatever, to whatever degree they've been seduced by the harlot, they may be subject on a temporal level to the plagues that are aimed at the harlot. This does not mean that they are necessarily that they will experience the final eternal condemnation and judgment that is preserved for the harlot. But it does mean that if you tie yourself in because your faith may be legitimate, you may genuinely look to Christ as the sole source of salvation. But to whatever degree you may have a confusion of things, whether it's at the level of satisfaction, whether it's idolizing something, and especially Christian nationalism, whatever it is, if you attach yourself to these things, trust me, judgment is coming on those things. And the warning is that the degree to which we are connected to these activities and allurements of the of, of the of, of Babylon, that we may experience to some degree the temporal plagues that are that are in preparation of the final judgment. So the point being, as you look at all of these various activities, and, and one of the examples that I was going to use about the. Uh, illegitimate things, because it's just kind of thrown in the list in verse 13 where it talks about uh, commerce. Uh, in verse 13, it, it, it's a whole list of the commerce and things that take place or that are being sold with the spirit of the world cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil. And then at the end of the list, it says slaves. And by the way, human souls. Here is the corruption of the process where the world makes it seem okay to put a human soul on the same bill of goods as you would horses and chariots and shame on the Christian church for years justifying slavery on the basis of the Bible. Because the idea here is that the selling of human souls as any other commodity this is a corruption, not only of the process, but it's also a matter of really a commercial enterprise that is corrupt from the very start. Human souls created in the image of God. God is so jealous of his image in fall, even in fallen humans. That in the Noahic covenant, God says that He will not even hold a beast as being innocent if it takes the life of a human being. So this is the these are the ways of the world. This is Babylon. And when John hears this angel says, say to the churches, come out of Babylon. What the, church, what the angel is telling the church is not don't go to the market, don't buy cinnamon. Or don't become a merchant or don't... No, no. that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is understand these necessary interactions from the vantage point of your position in Christ. Don't look at the enterprise or even if you are a merchant and you are selling these things and you become rich from them. Don't let your greed or your desire to become bigger and better Don't let that drive you in your enterprise rather than doing a service, offering a product to the glory of God and for the good of your neighbor. Come out of Babylon. That's the challenge that the first century church had. And brothers and sisters, that's the challenge of the 21st century church. That We come out of Babylon. That we engage what God allows us to engage in, engage it to the glory of God. And there is nothing and no one that that should hold a greater allegiance than our commitment and devotion to Almighty God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word and we thank you for the reminder that as your people we are set apart by your grace for your glory. We pray that as we sojourn here, that our interactions among men would bring glory to your name and not shame. We pray that you would allow us to enjoy what you have provided for us in a manner that brings honor to you. We thank you for the reminders because we know that in our fallen nature, we, like anyone else, is prone to extremes, and we are prone to make more of things than we should and less of the things that you have established for us. So let us hear your word. We know that you are moving history in a particular direction towards the, the dual eschatological ends of ultimate renewal and reward for your people and ultimate condemnation and judgment for the world. Let us more and more look to you and trust you as we serve you in these evil and dying days. Thank you, Father, for your grace in Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.